Hi, welcome to Story Guts. Uh, this is where we explore what the stories we tell tell about us. Okay. I'm Molly Curran. <laughs> I'm Alice Lai. Sorry, I jumped in there. I didn't know if you'd remember it. No, thank No, I mean, I think I, I did remember it, but I also don't blame you for being concerned that I did not, considering my track record. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, we'll get it eventually. Yeah, I mean, luckily... Uh, it's daylight savings time, so that's so, not that's not that doesn't mean anything. Okay, I guess like you can just still be blaming everything on daylight savings time. I can blame it on St. Patrick's Day. I'm just like it's all all the alcohol, all the green beer, <laughs> um, all the shamrock shakes I've been imbibing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's it. Uh, um. Anyway, and now for our special uh, St. Patrick's Day episode. Um. Green. We're going to be talking about leprechauns, classic leprechaun stories. No, um, I can't think of any classic leprechaun stories except the horror movies leprechaun. Yeah, I was going to say it. Well, was, <laughs> okay, but you also you can't remember a classic leprechaun story. What about the one where a person turns into a leprechaun? Luck of the Irish. Or oh, whatever. and Luck of the Irish. Luck of the Irish is a classic. Um, <laughs> a truly amazing Disney, Disney film. Um <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So what we're actually talking about this week in sort of a continuation from last week is the post-apocalyptic um, sort of genre, um, often dystopian, maybe always dystopian. Uh, I, think, uh, you know, I think that's a great question. It's like post-apocalypse just really like fundamentally, like even though it describes like a timeline, it, I feel like it's always dystopian. Like it's mm-hmm. always very it's a it's a hard life it's a hard knock life yeah i mean which is interesting because we kind of discussed a little bit sign of some of the utopian impulses behind apocalypse stories right mm-hmm. like um sort of getting a clean slate or like starting fresh um but so it's like this utopian impulse but then when we get to the post-apocalypse it's usually dystopian um yeah, like it it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and maybe just cuz like it seems kind of gauche to put it mildly to tell a story about like actually, now that everyone's dead, uh society is great. Uh, uh Yeah, I I think no, I mean, I think the the mechanism of post-apocalypse also kind of precludes unless you're telling like a very interesting story where there's there's like the genetically engineered plague and you're following like the rich people who lived (laughs) and you're like wow we're so glad we wiped out 90 percent of the world's population now everyone gets rich people socialism rich people socialism right like everyone's finally equal but that's because they're all like really rich rich. and happy about it cool i doubt they would be someone has to be the richest yeah united in murder Mm -hmm. it would come it would come round to a dystopia pretty quick i think yeah that's true Uh, yeah for sure so yeah so if we're thinking about sort of post-apocalyptic which i think has been a very very popular genre right in recent years and i think it's worth like starting by just considering one you know what are the features of the post-apocalyptic story and why do people like them like why is it such a popular genre yeah why do you yeah no i think that's great it's like why are we in- interested in a story where everyone's dead except us? Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, and I'm sure part of it is just like there are literary slash TV slash storytelling trends, of course. Um, you know, one thing gets popular, then a lot of things that are sort of in the same vein start happening. Um, but I do think there's there. I think there is something about the post-apocalyptic genre that that is resonating with people um, in a in a in a very specific way i guess um mm-hmm. 
And as I was thinking about this and I was doing a little research, yeah, I actually nice. did research. Um, yeah. uh, I was sort of um, exploring what some of the, the reasons people say that they think um, post-apocalypse is so popular right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said sort of anxiety about the current state of the world, which was my guess, um, sort of anxiety about nuclear fallout, about, um, you know, science going too far, about climate change, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of people also said it, that it uh, it presents a very, like, stark ethical drama, which is interesting because um, I hadn't thought of that. But, like, the idea that um, it provides a space for people to really think through um, these extreme ethical quandaries uh, and sort of moral quandaries and to, like, the entire sort of system of ethics that we currently have has been wiped out So like to and rebuild it anew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third major reason people talked about was uh, sort of the power fantasy of... Um, being special because you survived when a lot of people didn't, mm-hmm. um, uh, being powerful in sort of new ways because of changed circumstances. Uh-huh. Um, so like the, the, the last shall become first, uh, <laughs> because they've stockpiled a bunch of guns. Um, mm-hmm. and then also the power fantasy of the, the sort of like having all the weaponry and sort of that masculine power fantasy of, um, uh, yeah, of sort of having your own private arsenal, right? Of 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 just sort of being like people like like people laughed at me when I bought a bunch of samurai swords, but who's laughing now? Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or like the more specific survival. I mean, yeah, like or the more specific survivalist instincts of like I had a bunch of canned food, I had a bunch of like guns and ammunition, and now I. You know, money is, you know, you frou-frou types with, like, money and drinking LaCroix. Like, now I can shoot (laughs) that LaCroix out of your hands and demand you give me your money and your body. Yeah. I mean, I think in a post-apocalyptic story, that person would be the villain. Uh, True. um, I mean, I think it's, like, the the hero of the post-apocalypse, right, is somebody who grapples with the difficulties of the situation. Mm -hmm. Um both does what has to be done to survive, but also, like, does stick to or um, enact some sort of moral code, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the, yeah, like, there, there is, like, a gently take the LaCroix from them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, or, you know, like, you ask them to join your roving gang of survivors. Right. And I think um, what's kind of interesting about uh, post-apocalypse, uh, and I think I think what's interesting is we we've definitely shifted away from the nuclear apocalypse, I guess. Mm-hmm. Though who knows? Maybe we'll shift right back, uh, given our current climate, uh, and into kind of the weather base, like global warming apocalypse or plague plague apocalypse or yeah. zombie apocalypse, right? Yeah. Like it's and it's, I mean a zombie apocalypse is a plague apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, true. That's a good point. Um, I was actually just thinking of, like, maybe this is, uh, like, a way to envision, without explicitly acknowledging it, uh, an end to capitalism, right? Like, every every kind of post-apocalyptic story is, like, money doesn't matter anymore because yeah. money doesn't work. Like, you don't have to go to gas stations or supermarkets. It's a, uh, like, a barter-based or... Like, there's things of value, like a barter-based, work-based, like, but mm-hmm. it is very, like, uh, I, I, I want to say, like, socialist, communist, but there is no centralized government. It is, like, a communal, anarch- anarcho-communal um, <laughs> system of living where everyone's, like, does their share. And, uh, I mean, there's maybe no, you know, and maybe their share is, like, telling stories or whatever, but, like, an envisioning of the end of pointless work i guess pointless i mean like you mentioned like the the power fantasy or like the like there's no more daily grind because now it's like this exciting struggle for survival right exactly it's like you don't have to worry about picking up your dry cleaning 
or going to class or, uh, you know, like working in your office or whatever. You don't have to worry about getting the scratch on your car fixed. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to worry about like getting enough to eat and um, making sure that the people you care about are protected and, you know, finding shelter and safety um, and then sort of maintaining a a community, which... Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it kind of says something that, like, those are experiences people have, like, already. Um, so it's it's a little, I think it says something that we can sort of fantasize about that as being, like, so fulfilling. But mm-hmm. um, but I think you are right on. Like, it's, um, it is an end to capitalism, but not sort of, not so much in favor of an egalitarian system, so much as a sort of strengths-based system, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the people who have certain strengths are the people who are valuable to that society. Right, yeah. It's not not a, um, like, an end to scarcity. It is kind of like, and, like, scarcity becomes the driving, uh, like, basically, yeah, yeah. I think there's, like, there, it's not that people can't currently and do um, struggle with, like, providing for themselves and mm-hmm. find like you know keeping relationships together and their own like click together but there is something like uh mediated about it that's like they're like oh like it's unmediated because like we have to keep the wolves at bay or it's it's like it's more quote-unquote real because you're not having to deal with like this whole uh interpretation layer of like what is like like oh they read my message or like it's been two hours and they haven't texted back we we got ice cream two weeks ago but like we haven't talked since you know there it strips away it blasts away all of that and it blasts away kind of the kind of preoccupation with meaning i guess like with meaning and worth it's like what am i like a lot of people kind of or in in my experience like around my age like in the working force are like what am I working towards? What am I like, why am I in this job? Like, what do I want? Where do I see myself in five years? And then in a post-apocalypse scenario, it's like, I sure, sure hope we find some more propane tanks so we could like have fire um, or like, you know, fix, you know, get some shelter before uh, the next like super, super thunderstorm like uh, comes in. Yeah, no, I think that's completely right. I mean, it's sort of, Yeah, I think it's sort of a combination of we are aware of our own sort of, what is it, it, like, late capitalist, um, I don't know, not shallow, well, shallowness, but, like, just, like, meaninglessness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're aware that we are just living in this culture of there's just stuff and it's materialistic and... Um, you know, we fill up the emptiness of our lives by <laughs> buying things or like entertaining ourselves with TV shows mm-hmm. or whatever. Like we 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 understand that we are sort of like <laughs> like emotionally and intellectually sort of uh empty and so we <laughs> fill it up with all this stuff. And so the fantasy is like okay if we blast away all that stuff we have we're forced to find just our innate like i am a human and mm-hmm. like get down to basics um like find the ability to sort of exist in the world yeah. um and, and i want to say something also about like the the way that like we have become increasingly aware of how uh, dependent on other like constructions we are like social both social and technological constructs um, and, and this is something that I sort of have been thinking about it's like uh, like you know Twitter is a private company Facebook is a private company the US government is in many ways a private company <laughs> um, like we we are we attach a lot of meaning and derive a lot of uh actions and motivations from things that are ultimately someone else has decided for us i guess and Mm -hmm. this is kind of um and i think i don't necessarily think that you know i don't think that's necessarily innately wrong but i understand the impulse of uh post-apocalypse post-apocalyptic fiction to just sort of be like 
um, there's, like you said, like there's nothing separating me from the world and no one, no one is responsible. Like, you know, Facebook does not, like if Facebook adds a six emoji reaction, it does not matter anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, it matters. It doesn't really matter now, but it's something that you're like. But it's something you'd have to comment on or like not, not every person, but like. I'm sure I would. I'd be like, ah, new Facebook, you know, reaction. Um, You'd be, like, vaguely aware of it. And also, like, vaguely, you're like, I know, like, you know, I read an article about, like, Facebook's testing, finally, an unlike button. And I was like, this is stupid, but now I know it. (laughs) (laughs) But now I know that, like, Facebook is, and, like, you know, this is a, whatever. How much scandal was there over, you know apple changing their peach emoji like (laughs) yeah yeah that's right it was like you can't sex the same anymore if it doesn't look enough like a butt and and like i want to be clear i don't think that this stuff is i mean i think it is sort of meaningless but meaningless in the way that like the world is like that right that life is is meaningless and like i don't think that's yeah i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing um you know i i see what's problematic about it but yeah i do i do really believe like I don't think like a person is a bad person or an empty shell of a person because they care about an emoji. Right. Um, or like they use Snapchat. Like it's not. Right. Yeah. And I want to say, I want to put it on the table that I don't think that's bad either. Like I'm not, um, for all that we're talking about, the appeals of post apocalypse and understanding the appeal of it, like I fully recognize I would be dead in two weeks. Yeah. And I would miss Snapchat. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, and I I think there's also something to this idea of, like, with the internet, but just sort of with the world, um, as it is, right, we've, we talk a lot about how the world has, uh, um, I guess you can think of, like, the world has grown smaller, but our own individual worlds have grown larger, right? We can Mm -hmm. sort of connect to people all across the world. And I feel like there's anxiety about that, too, about sort of the, um, the vastness of the of the world um, and how connected we all are. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about a um, sort of post-apocalyptic situation is that it really does like strip everything down to, um, you know, who is there in sort of your immediate vicinity, right? Like yeah. rarely in the post-apocalypse is someone like uh, meeting up with somebody on another continent. Um, mm-hmm. It's usually people in your general state area i think on the walking dead they like haven't even left the south ever so um (laughs) it's it's really it becomes a very regional experience yeah um there there is no uh you know there is no worrying about what your government is doing like several hundred miles away because there is no government there's Mm -hmm. no uh, global implications of your actions, no matter how, like, you're not contributing to, like, the famines by buying quinoa because of, you're raising the, indirectly raising the price of quinoa where it used to be a staple grain for certain countries or something. It's just purely, like you said, it's purely local. Like, you're making local decisions and nothing anyone else is doing neither you nor other people kind of more than three states away or like one country away really matter. Like it's like if someone is going to launch the nukes in the post-apocalypse, you can't do anything about that unless you're like literally right there. Yeah. I mean, it gives you permission, right? This, this sort of world gives you permission to just stop caring about, stop knowing about um, what's happening over there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to really give it any because it, it has nothing to do with you. You can't affect that. They can't affect you. You'll never meet. It's completely separate. Um, and that's mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I do understand the appeal of that, like, like thinking about the vastness of the world and how interconnected everything is and how how much, you know, um harm is done and how much people suffer is like a lot um and so this idea of like okay well i can't i don't know about any of that anymore i can't do anything about it um 
I am literally completely cut off from even being aware if people are still alive over there, wherever over there is, um, uh, out there. Yeah. Um, like you give you give yourself permission to just be like, okay, well then I'm just gonna care about me and the immediate surroundings. Um, mm-hmm. Which I mean, don't get me wrong, I think people are already like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think there's certainly a strain of people who, um, you know, it's it's a fantasy of just sort of being able to have a smaller world. Abdicate your abdicate your responsibility. Right. Like the idea of being sort of a global citizen goes out the window real fast. Um, <laughs> I mean, the idea of being a, a national citizen goes out the window. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really a, a just you've got a community and that's it. Right. You have your little community farm, right? You have the raiders. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I think I think that's... I mean, and that's funny just because I feel like that is that is um, another appeal of the post-apocalypse uh, and one that maybe appeals to us liberal types. But it is, it is... We're kind of talking about multiple sides of the same coin of like... You don't have to care about anyone else when you when we talk about the hardcore survivalist appeal of the genre too. Mm-hmm. It's like um, I don't have to worry about if my like, water bill is being paid. I just need to find water. <laughs> um, and then I think there's also a strain of. Um, you know, where I think I think we believe that this is a, what's it called? Like a, a cautionary tale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, sort of these post-apocalyptic dystopias are horrifying, but we're supposed to be, we feel we're supposed to be learning something from them, right? Like, mm-hmm. we should be learning, like, don't do all this bad stuff that is going to destroy your earth. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. But, like, I don't really know what to, to do with that. I mean, in general, the question of, like, art as activism is real complicated, and we'll put that aside. But, um... Well, yeah, I mean, that is, that is an issue when you have stories like Mad Max, uh, where it's, like, implied that, you know, there was a global ecological disaster, but now people are being really cool and sick and kind of doing, like, <laughs> badass stunts. Um unfettered by laws or helmets (laughs) or whatever um so in that in those cases it always becomes kind of muddled um or at least it becomes a side message like the the message is like yeah this is not you know for all the things we're describing this still kind of sucks compared to like the average person's life is a lot more difficult uh compared to the life of you dear reader um, mm-hmm. who's, like, able to sit somewhere and just read this book without having to worry about food or shelter, yeah. I mean, presumably. I think there's, like, a distance in most post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic stuff. Like, I've I've rarely, like, watched one or experienced one where I'm like, whoa, I could see that happening. I mean, you see traces, right? You see traces of things. You're like, yeah, I see how that's speaking to now. Like, of course, mm-hmm. like, most sort of speculative type things should be speaking to this current moment. Um, but I still feel like you're, you're able to sort of like envision, um, uh, a sort of indeterminate amount of time between the present and that future. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like the immediate, like, like this is happening now, even if it's set in like 1984, for instance, um, (laughs) like we don't necessarily feel like that's, um, right around the corner. Right. Like there's decades or maybe in some cases, like maybe hundreds of years, uh, or well, maybe not hundreds of years, but like half a century. Yeah. Um, and you're you're kind of like, well, I won't. I'll live to see it degrade, but I won't live into the post-apocalypse. I'll live through the apocalypse, possibly. So what were what were the three? Um, so going back to the beginning of the episode, you mentioned three uh, three reasons. So or like I... the three things you you dug up. Yeah, I think, um, like I think we've talked about them all. So anxiety about the world, state mm-hmm. of the world, um, the power fantasy in various directions. And this, they talked a lot about that specifically when thinking about um, like video games, like first person video games and like Fallout. A lot of articles about Fallout. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And then like sort of the ethical drama of sort of being in a safe, in the safe space of reading a book or watching a TV show or whatever, playing a video game where you get to try out these like really difficult ethical and moral dilemmas um, without actually having that have any effects. Do you eat the baby? Yeah. Right, exactly. You know, or do <laughs> do you kill somebody to get their food? Or, you know, mm-hmm. do you save the child even though they'll be a hindrance? <laughs> right, yeah. It's it's the trolley problem, but just, like, writ large, I guess. Right. Um, and, like, I think probably all of those things can be seen in other genres as well. But I do think sort of um, because of the trend and because of certain... Uh, fears that we have at this moment like a lot of a lot of these stories do feel especially pertinent mm-hmm. uh, yeah and, and i think um just tracking the ways at the post-apocalypse or at least uh looking at the preponderance i suppose of zombie apocalypse stories is is kind of interesting in thinking about how they speak to people's conception of the apocalypse i guess like so i think zombie apocalypse is like a whole thing to unpack um mm-hmm. but i think it has i mean as it is now it has everything to do with um fear of contagion mm-hmm. i think it has roots in uh like fear and paranoia during the aids crisis mm-hmm. i think that um it has to do with fear of the sort of um foreign other that can invade and uh convert yeah mm -hmm. um and then just sort of our general fear of um science science running amok right gmos and gene stuff but Mm -hmm. also science running amok Mm -hmm. but i think like we see zombies now and i think we've talked about this before maybe but like we see zombies now almost always as there's some sort of medical issue right it's a virus it's like a zombie Mm -hmm. virus um and you know maybe there's some sort of cure or maybe there's uh there are ways of spreading it um in the show i zombie it's like it can be sexually transmitted which is like so very clearly a parallel to uh hiv which is a real problem um (laughs) yeah that's that's weird uh yeah so it's very um it's very I don't know. I lost my train of thought. But um, but yeah, we're, it's very medicalized, maybe, is the way we mm. want to put it. Um, well, or... you, you did say, like, it's it's always very kind of kind of it's always the result of science. And it's more of like science has caused this and science will cure it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of like the cure for the zombie plague has is is mm-hmm. kind of also comes up a lot, even in cases where it's like, yeah, the scientists were testing a new bioweapon uh, and then, you know, someone slipped and broke a vial and went home with a fever. And that was like patient zero of zombie apocalypse land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's sort of exactly it. Like, I think we would find it kind of weird and retro to have a zombie story where it's just like, zombies are magic. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is kind of funny just because one of the, like, a lot of the original horror stories of, like, The Thing or zombies, it's, like, kind of uh, either uh, Lovecraftian, like, a meteor landed and now everyone's a zombie near it. Or um, just almost biblical in the sense of, like, these zombies just showed up and we don't know what to do with them. Uh, like, the pod people or, like, just aliens did it. Like, there, there's, like, kind of a... I guess there's there's kind of this decision, this feeling that uh, our hubris is going to come back to haunt us. Yeah, um, and it yeah it is it is sort of the ubiquity of the the sort of zombie story as um, I mean as sort of a modern Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Is is absolutely like the the thing right now. I was sorry, I was I was getting distracted trying to look up some stuff about the origin of um of zombies because it's originally a haitian term right mm-hmm, um yeah. from haitian folklore of uh, dead bodies reanimated through magic um and the fact that it's sort of trans been sort of transformed through culture uh into this um horror of science is very i don't know interesting and telling in certain ways 
Yeah. But I don't know if we want to we want to get too caught up just talking about zombies because I think that yeah, is... definitely it's definitely very easy to just talk about zombies. Yeah, which um, is interesting. I mean, I feel like for years I was like, zombies are so boring. Why are people interested in zombies? Um, but like, I don't know. I came around to it too. I find <laughs> it um, very interesting, and and I think like. Sorry, this is me now going off on a very me tangent. But I think, like, the fact that we think of, like, we think of the zombies in The Walking Dead is, like, that is the um, sort of, uh, that is what we picture when we say zombie. And Mm -hmm. when we're, like, in Game of Thrones, when we have the ice, the whites, the the risen dead, the ice zombies, and we call them ice zombies, but, like, we don't really think of them as being, like, that's a zombie um, Mm -hmm. because they are just sort of this magical thing um, yeah they're more rather... generically just undead right exactly they're they're undead they're not zombies you know there wasn't a virus yeah <laughs> yeah um, so yeah um but yeah post-apocalypse and the collapse of social institutions <laughs> <laughs> um i mean so maybe we should start getting to some specific examples if we want to yeah sure um i was just sort of thinking about uh just like kind of the the alter, alter, alternate um, survival, it's like not necessarily survivalist, but kind of uh, in the absence of um, society. Like you know, if you it's like kind of the this like internet question that made the rounds a few years ago. That was like if you knew the world was going to end, or like if you knew you're going to travel back in time to like. 4000 BC and could only take a backpack's worth of things with you what would you do um and there's like a couple there I mean there's like a book that just came out by Ryan North called like how to invent everything which I think is like more generally just uh, exploration of like um how things work uh written in an amusing manner but I also kind of think um but he also had another thing that was like a, t- a time traveler's t-shirt which was this sort of like a t-shirt that had uh a lot of both historical and practical knowledge just just like on it just like hypothetically if you got caught in a time rift um which i think is also kind of uh parallel to the post-apocalypse story of like being able to macgyver a water purification process out of like two coconuts and a lemon um that's more castaway i guess less, <laughs> less macgyver <laughs> uh yeah i mean like the idea of what is what is being prepared and um how how can how can one be prepared for for the inevitable um, <laughs> question mark yeah i it's a good question and it's you know if we if we look at sort of some of the examples of popular media that do this so i'm thinking i'm thinking of the walking dead it's the one i'm the most familiar with mm-hmm. um like in The Walking Dead, the the main character um, Rick wakes up after being in a coma for like a year. Um, oh, so he, that's how it starts. Yeah, so he well, it starts like you kind of see him living his normal life. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. Oh, isn't it so great? Um, he's got a best friend. He's a cop, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then he um, gets into some kind of accident. And maybe gets shot. Um, and he goes into a coma. And he's in a coma for about a year. And when he wakes up in the hospital, like, it's completely silent. There's nobody there. Everything's abandoned. He's, like, walking around in his little, like, hospital gown, seeing um, all these, you know, like, thing- things people have written. So this is where the famous, like, don't open dead inside. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Screen cap has come from- came from. Um, oh, Okay. Uh, and so he, like, literally he could not be less prepared. <laughs> like he has no clue what's going on. He's like practically naked. Um, he doesn't have a weapon on him and he's like walking out into the world just like oblivious. No right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and sort of the, which is very, I mean, the first episode is a very, is a really cool episode of TV, I think. Um, but like, I think it's very interesting that that was sort of how it had to begin. Like he had, to, he began as completely 
um, not helpless, but unprepared. He started um, from nothing, yeah. Right, which I think, like, really heightens the horror of the situation. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, yeah, and I guess we can, we can't, we've been kind of avoiding the topic, but let's, let's do a deep dive on uh, The Walking Dead a little more with our resident expert on The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. Molly Curran. I'm still, like, two seasons behind, so expert <laughs> is a... Uh... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think I think, the, and we've we've talked about The Walking Dead before because I think it's a fascinating show that has been like a cultural phenomenon. But also, mm-hmm. people, I mean, I think people compare it to the to Game of Thrones for good reason. Like, people love it, people hate it, people get obsessed with it. But characters, the Walking Dead, walk about us. Characters <laughs> die, <laughs> you know, all the time, um, and. I, I mean, I don't know what there is to say so much about, like, the, the world, the post-apocalyptic world of The Walking Dead, except that, like, you know, of course, like, zombies are bad, but humans are always the real... Zombies. The, the real monsters. You know, like, the most horrifying things that happen are not getting attacked by zombies, because that's sort of something they've come to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not pleasant, but... It's not horrifying in the way um, sort of being lured into a community thinking that it's safe and then it turns out it's a cannibal community and they're going to eat them mm-hmm. um, or being attacked on the road by, uh, uh, by you know, men who try to, like, sexually assault a child. Um, like, the, the sort of, like, worst... Enemy of humanity is humanity. Yes, and like it's the it's sort of like the worst things you can imagine people doing to each other, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's not clear are these terrible people who have been now just given sort of free reign to uh-huh. to be as terrible as they want? Um, are these people who have been made terrible by the being in terrible in a terrible world? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure what the show is really, like, wanting us to get from this, because... So, yeah, yeah. I was, I was go- I'm curious, uh, so is is there, like, this, um, any reflection on, like, people who died? Like, is, is there this idea, like, all the nice people died, or, like, all the people with glasses died, or, or <laughs> what? What, you mean... In The Walking Dead, it's like, right, like you said, like, maybe it's, like, horror people, people ha- finally have free reign... Is part of that, like, this question, like, is that because all the nice people I mean, or all the... Yeah, I think it's, like, the people who are willing to survive, especially when they're not sort of in these big um, sort of communities with moral leaders. Um, mm-hmm. They they survive because they're willing to do what it takes to survive, um, which is, you know... Eat a baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um mm-hmm. And and so you get you get sort of that and then you get kind of the um this is contrasted, right, by like say Rick's group of people, um, his 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 gang, um, which there are a lot of people who are really skilled and have a lot of um ability in fighting and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. some of them who become they come to have more ability or sort of come to be stronger. There's one character, uh, Carol, who uh, at the sort of beginning of the show is in an abusive marriage. Um, mm-hmm. And basically within the first season, her husband dies because a zombie bites him. And uh, <laughs> and he uh, – and with him gone, like she sort of really comes into her own and is now sort of one of the most like she, – she can fight. She's like a leader – um, she is really, you know, strong and powerful. Um, and so, like, there's a lot of sort of the the situation of the post-apocalypse causes people who wouldn't, you know, who would otherwise be kind of, otherwise be kind of weak um, to grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, quote-unquote weak. But uh, to, to sort of, like, grow into these powerful people. But the flip side is that they also have to protect the people who can't. So there, there are, um, you know, certain people who, like, part of what the show is about is keeping those people alive. So, like, there's a baby. A baby gets born who cannot uh-huh. protect herself. Um, and sort of keeping the baby safe becomes something that I think is sort of central to the um, 
morality of the show. Right. It's like if we can't keep a baby safe, then we're not we're no better than the baby eaters. Right. Um, or, you know, like we could have just left this baby on the side of the road or whatever. I mean, actually, it's really it's quite problematic. Like the woman who got pregnant, she wanted to have an abortion. But Rick was like, no, you can't. Well, she wanted to take a bunch of pills to try to induce an abortion. Um, mm -hmm. And Rick was like, no, you can't abort. That's terrible. Bah, 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 bah. Have the baby. Um, and it's like, hey, we're in the middle of a post-apocalypse here. <laughs> we're in the middle really of. really want to do that. And like, spoiler alert, she did die in labor. So cool. Yeah, way to go. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's my thoughts on The Walking Dead. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've got a question on The Walking Dead. And yeah. this is something that I, I kind of, this is, this is my post-apocalypse thinking. Is that, do they ever just like find a Whole Foods and they just like go, go nuts? Yes. Well, they do? I mean, not like a, I mean, the thing is by the time the, the, the show starts, right, it's been mm -hmm. a year or it's been some months or something or okay. there's time has passed since the apocalypse started <laughs> or the zombie apocalypse started. Um, right. So a lot of those places are already emptied out, but part of what they have to do is they go scavenging and they do find different places, um, stores and pharmacies and things like that, that they will, um, yeah, that they'll go, they'll go into and sort of raid. Um, uh -huh. And usually, like, either a lot of stuff is gone already or, like, it's filled with zombies. So they have to, like, do a lot of killing to get in there. Um, but, yeah, that's actually, that actually is something that they, they, uh, okay, they deal cool. with. And there's, like, one episode where, like, they find a delivery truck uh, full of food um, and sort of get into this um, battle with another guy. Not battle, sort of um, this fight with this other guy over the... the the truck full of food and uh -huh. it ends up because of their fucking around trying to um each take it for themselves it ends up falling into a river and all the stuff being spoiled yep okay that sounds pretty uh like a pretty <laughs> um, classic so uh that's it? actually a fairly comic episode <laughs> <laughs> solomon so i i mean i do like this idea of them finding like a hello fresh uh <laughs> <laughs> Just people's uneaten, uh, yeah, uh, meal meal delivery, yeah, vacuum sealed, uh, balsamic lamb or whatever. Right. It's like, oh, Blue Apron. This must be the Blue Apron facilities. There are just boxes upon boxes. And this must be the Casper mattress facility. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as much as it would be very funny to have a um, a interstitial. Walking Dead sponsored like a podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, this must be the Bolin Branch facility. Did you know that two former U.S. presidents are currently <laughs> sleeping on these? Well, not anymore. Um, but they were. They were. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be pretty good. They'd be like, well, you know, we may be in the apocalypse, but we can still sleep comfortable. Well, right. We're still spending maybe not a third, but like a fourth of our lives in bed. <laughs> like, don't you like? And these are these are just like really nice sheets, you know. I just like I don't, I don't think I slept this comfortably even while before the zombie apocalypse even. Yeah. And I can make you know three meals a week for less than forty dollars mm -hmm. if money was a concept that still exists. Uh, um, carefully curated. Um, <laughs> I mean, that actually did remind me of one other thing that's worth, uh, maybe worth mentioning, which is, like, the the need for particular skills in the post-apocalypse. Um, so, so, like, the woman who dies when she goes into labor, um, part of the issue is because there's not a, um, like, a, a trained doctor there with her um, mm -hmm. when she does it. So it goes wrong um i think she has she, she has to do a c-section and it goes terribly terribly wrong mm -hmm. um and the other issue is like at certain times like people have to decide whether to tolerate certain people or not depending on their usefulness so mm -hmm. in at one point like the gang finds this like fairly safe closed community um where there's one doctor and the one doctor is um abusive to his wife and everyone knows it but they're like he's our doctor we can't do anything about him 
Whereas, like, in normal circumstances, so they say, they would intervene. Um, and sort of it, it becomes this quandary of what, what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that sort of thing comes up in other things as well, where where having, you know, having the doctor on hand um, means that you kind of have to put up with them regardless of whatever. Um mm-hmm. And that often creates, you know, that becomes a source of real tension. Yeah. Like in in a environment. I mean, yeah, I think I think that's funny just because it, it kind of recalls the pre-apocalypse. It's like the the post-apocalypse scenario of like we all, we just have to rely on ourselves. Like we just have to like, you know, read up on Wikipedia how to create traps and stuff, and then we're good. Um, and then that's contrasted in these situations of like, we have like the one doctor or the one person who can operate a forklift or something. And like this, this like, oh, now we have to depend on some random asshole to like do stuff again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, you know, like, oh, this is, you know, if, um, if I knew the post-apocalypse would be like putting up with my psychiatrist to get the correct prescription or whatever like i don't know i mean i think think that's that's interesting here because like on one hand it is like the classic uh, moral quandary of like uh the ones who walk away from omelas like do you have this situation where it's like ostensibly safe but on a very like rotten compromise or do you like you know choose not to participate in that system or to like break that system and on the other hand it's also like the whole yeah, you know, my boss is an asshole, but he pay, you know, but he's my boss, so I can't, and, you know, I can't, finding a job is hard in this economy, <laughs> uh, so I'll have to put up with it. Um, but, like, kind of transposed into this um, post-apocalypse scenario. Yeah. I mean, and when it, I mean, you know, when it is something like the doctor, or, you know, say you have your, your like, leader who keeps the community together or whatever, right? It becomes a matter of, like... Um, of a whole group of people, right? Rather mm-hmm. than just yourself. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that definitely is a uh, one of the common sort of things that comes up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, do we do we want to talk about other stuff other than The Walking Dead? I was going to say. Um, so I haven't read Handmaiden's Tale, but is that considered the, the Handmaid's Tale? Handmaid's Tale. I uh, yeah, it's I would consider it post-apocalyptic. Mhm. And I think I think that's interesting because it is um more of it's less a directly like the institutions have broken down and more of like a genetic like the institutions have become warped. Is that correct? I have So, here's the basic premise behind um The Handmaid's Tale is that um due to environmental pollution and stuff, women become uh less and less fertile um simultaneously a sort of conservative government takes place and begins um stripping away women's rights um Mm -hmm. ultimately what this leads to is women um who are still able to conceive are made into um handmaids where they basically their job is to um like get pregnant by powerful men in the community um so like they would like live with the husband and wife and um Mm -hmm. so it's it's very the thing about the handmaid's tale all that stuff i said earlier about like how it feels like there's like you know you can really feel the gap between the the present and sort of that post-apocalyptic future that is not true in the handmaid's tale (laughs) like for Mm -hmm. me that one was so scary when i read it because because it's it's not like we see the whole downfall um or sort of mm-hmm. through flashbacks we're told the whole story of how this society fell apart and like the first couple things that happen are not like wild things they aren't even like things that you would call like catastrophic apocalyptic events mm-hmm. um yeah maybe it's more dystopian than post apocalyptic but still okay. um okay yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's just sort of occurred to me, it's like, um, we, 
before we we sort of go off topic, uh, there there is this idea of um, of post apocalypse stories as being like this as being about less humanity and as being more about like what comes after humanity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like the um, whether that's uh, AI or in in the book, the girl with all the gifts is kind of becomes about like the zombies becoming like more intelligent. And, like, basically all the humans die, and then, like, the zombies are, like, inherit the planet, basically. Mm. Um, which is which is also kind of interesting. Um, yeah, that is... I don't know. That is interesting. I mean, or or sort of, you know, maybe some of the, the things we think about, like, the... Um, uh, that book series that we were just talking about so much last the... week, the Broken Earth trilogy. Yes. Um, right, mm-hmm. where it's unclear if this is set in sort of a far far future to our on our earth or not Mm -hmm. um like yeah i I mean i feel like arguments can be made for that um Mm -hmm. but what it's thinking about right it is what comes after which is i mean they're human but like things are right there's like magic and um yeah yeah it's it's sort of like we um it's about less about survival. Well, I mean, it is still about survival, but a part of it's also interested in legacy. Um, like what's, what's left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's kind of interesting and a definitely another way to approach it. Um, because I think part of what's interesting about post-apocalypse uh, stories to me and something I sort of wish was explored more is just sort of uh, what happens to just like this, all this decaying, infrastructure like what about cities i guess it's like Mm -hmm. what about um like what about like all these empty spaces that used to have meaning um and we kind of earlier or not earlier but like it's it's you kind of see the get the same sense now when you you know go on the internet and look at um like ghost cities like cities in china that were built but no one moved in or like flooded shopping malls or something like it's always it's it always feels like um this interesting recontextualization of like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not really yeah. completely sure. Uh, but I, I mean, I do wish we were, were able to talk about Fallout more. I haven't played any of the games, uh, but it is like a. I watched post- the episode of Monster Factory. <laughs> that was- <laughs> yeah. All right. That doesn't count. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it ultimately is about like a nuclear apocalypse. Um, and like you're you've survived because there's like a bunch of like these vaults I want to say, uh, where like you're shielded from nuclear radiation, but you it, you leave you exit into a world that's been fundamentally apocalypsified with like turn with like retro futuristic uh, stuff like I don't know nuclear grenades or something, um, and like robots and whatever, so. I mean, I would, I would like to talk about it, but unfortunately, I haven't played it, um, so I'm unable to. Um, um, there are a lot of articles about it. Um, when I was googling, like, why are people so into the post-apocalypse? Uh- <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Fallout Four was really, really big um, when it came out a little while ago, and I think one of the interesting things about the Fallout series is, uh, again, I'm working off of like vaguely seeing Twitter posts about it and tumblr posts but that each of them kind of takes place in a different area there's like las vegas uh boston pennsylvania like all of them kind of um look at the apocalypse in different from different settings i suppose and ultimately i guess they're all about like you that every person uh you know stomping around and like righting wrongs or wronging rights and like becoming a werewolf or something and like <laughs> riding mechs I, i'm pretty sure okay. you can become either a werewolf or a zombie or maybe just a generic mutant in them okay um and i think the latest one lets you like build your own like little community and like wire things you know have like turrets and guard them from raiders or something so mm-hmm. sorry using mutant just reminded me another thing that people are really afraid of that i think comes out in a lot of these stories is disability Mm, yeah absolutely i think that's a great uh great point that we we could have gotten deeper into yeah um i feel like i i want to talk about snowpiercer a little bit 
Okay, yeah, let's, I mean, this can be a longer episode. Let's talk about Snowpiercer. Not a ton. I just think it's it's interesting because I don't know how much I liked it as a movie, but it did feel different than other post apocalyptic And maybe it's just because it was on a train. Like, honestly, it could just be, it was on a train. <laughs> Isn't that weird and different? Um, uh-huh. it, you know, it very much literalized a lot of these things that I think are... Um, Already pretty explicit in post-apocalyptic things, but, you know, by having sort of, like, the back train car, and that's where all the, you know, all the the poor people are who have to resort to eating babies. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you sort of, like, go up and each car becomes more and more splendid or whatever. Um, And and a lot of what that movie did in general, I think, was literalize a lot of the the issues that come up with post-apocalypse. But... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just wondered if you had any thoughts about it or um, or anything, just because I thought it was a weird movie. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it's interesting because one of the critiques I've seen levied at uh, Snowpiercer is how video gamey it is. I suppose mm. uh, this kind of like um, linearized traversal from like the back to the like your final boss is at the front of the train, and you have to like make it there from the back of the train. Um, oh yeah, I guess that's and you true. Have, like, yeah, and then and then it's like kind of funny in a sense because you go through like a number of like video gaming environments. Like you have the nightclub and you have like the processing plant and you have the gears and like whatever. Um I mean I think uh I mean and also like the, the gross out factor of like, oh, they're actually eating bugs and it's like eh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um I mean I think uh I mean, I think that's that's pretty interesting when you talk about uh, the literali- literalization of the post-apocalypse narrative and how it kind of um, makes it obvious, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if we think about, I mean, I guess, spoiler alert, if we think about sort of the concluding sort of, or one of the concluding reveals, right, is mm-hmm. that the train continues to run um, because, like, children are being used as, like, cogs in it and have to, like manually um work it and so it's like mm-hmm. ah of course the children of the poor become the um that which allows the the sort of like fodder that allows um you know the elite to survive mm-hmm. um so yeah it just it, it it is it is very literal <laughs> <laughs> um and and i don't know and i think it, it got i saw it getting some praise because it does have um a, a relatively diverse cast and again spoiler it ends with um the crane the train crashes and as far as it seems there are only two survivors um mm-hmm. which is like a young uh korean woman i want to say so yeah and then a, a young uh a black child and um and like basically the idea being like they are the future um which I think, you know, I think that's an interesting reading, but I do think it's worth noting that, like, a lot of the things we, we talked about have, like, decently diverse casts, I guess. Um, you know, The Walking mm. Dead gets a lot of shit for good reason, um, but it also has had diverse casts. It's just that it kills off a lot of its <laughs> diversity. Yeah. And they're like, it's oh, a we can just, yeah, it's, it cast. is. It's rotating. It is. They, they're like, they kill off a black man to bring on another black man repeatedly Mm -hmm. all the time um so that's not great but but in all these cases even with these sort of like diverse casts like the fantasy or the anxiety or whatever you want to call it you know the the hero of it or the lead or the 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 leader is Mm -hmm. a white man yeah you know and that's not anything profound but like worth (laughs) noting it's a white man who's who we feel comfortable rooting for because the white man is not racist. Yeah. Um, I guess that's something um, Mad Max did differently, um, depending on who you see as the yeah. lead of Mad Max. Right, yeah. And I think that's... And it's funny that we didn't talk about Mad Max at all because that's kind of like the fundamental uh, post-apocalypse. Like, we have bullets and gasoline, but nothing else. Um, and a lot of, like, punk clothing i guess uh-huh i'm glad fashion uh, survived into the <laughs> right yeah yeah fashion survived um but okay we'll have to, well unfortunately <laughs> we may have to table mad max, mad um, max unless we have something 
some last minute if we if we want to do a a nuclear apocalypse or punk fashion dystopian uh, fashion car episode. episode car episode yeah absolutely um, that would be we'll just talk about the fast and the furious and mad max have you seen any of the fast and furious movies i saw the first one that's literally it i've seen okay the first yeah one. i haven't seen any of them i feel i was i was kind of surprised that um that came up as a topic that we were qualified <laughs> to talk about um but a car one would definitely that would definitely fit in a car episode um, but. yeah all right so uh what have you been up to reading watching reading experiencing watching, um, i just went to a books book reading by uh daniel ortberg um and got the mary spinster spinster um, so I'm interested in reading that. I also just uh, finished playing Florence, which is like kind of um, a romantic app. Uh, okay, that sounds stupid. <laughs> um, it's it's a romance story that's like told through an interactive experience, um, which makes it sound way more fancy, I guess. But like it is it is like a like a app on a phone or a game on a phone you play through that kind of explores. Uh, this like young woman's first love Um, and I think it got a lot of praise for kind of uh, using interaction as a way to invest you in the story Uh, and I I felt like it did pretty I thought I felt like it did pretty well like I think the the music was certainly really lovely and I like the way that um, I participated in the story the story itself was not particularly (laughs) earth-shaking or groundbreaking um and I, I will say I was a little bit disappointed by that, but I, I suppose that I, otherwise it's like fairly blameless. I think it's it's a fun experience. It's like $3 on the App Store or something. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in that kind of thing, go check it out. And I think that's, um, those have been the things I've been experiencing. I've been playing Enter the Gungeon again, which is a gun themed video game where you try like um you there's a dungeon that is the gungeon and you fight through legions of the gun dead to build the bullet that can kill the past Um, is everything like made of guns yeah actually everything is made of guns um so your weapon your enemies are like living bullets and your um like the final boss is the drag gun which is a dragon that has Mm -hmm. two guns Mm -hmm. and it's very funny actually like the way that it just leans so hard into like everything is a gun um i mean i feel like whoever was coming up with all the puns probably had a lot of fun yeah for sure like every everything is a gun it's it's very ridiculous um but it's it's i'm i've been playing through that again so trying to beat that beat it a fruitless task (laughs) huh yeah how about you molly I am trying to think. So I don't know that much has changed since last time. I'm still reading Daniel Deronda. I don't know if I had started reading it um, last time, but I'm still reading it. It's very long. Um, I just started Who Fears Death, which um, by Nendi Okafor. Oh, okay. Who Fears Death. Okafor, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I... Uh, had recommended to me by a friend and which um, depending on how it goes I'm thinking about writing about for a final paper um, for one of my classes Cool. and other than that you know still watching Steven Universe and yeah it's not it's not been super exciting oh no I do know okay Uh here's something a couple no it was like a week ago like last Sunday um I went to a screening of the Sailor a, Sa- a Sailor Moon musical, um, and it was the strangest experience of my life. Um, I was in a theater great. of like you know people who are really into anime, um, which is fine. So people are really into anime, <laughs> but like they're just like all around me talking about anime, and it just brought me back to high school. And uh, and then we I was I was going with a friend who loves Sailor Moon. Um, and then we started watching the musical and every part is played by a woman, which makes it just like this incredibly, uh, gay experience, um, in a really wonderful way. Um, also I just like Sailor Moon is like very 
queer and strange. I didn't realize, but like in this episode, they're out al- or in this musical, their allies were this like boy band, but the boy band are actually Sailor Shen- Senshi, and when they um, transform into Sailor Senshi, they're women, and so it's it's very unclear to me. Um, but apparently, that's in the original. Um, uh-huh. So it was it was just a very interesting experience. It was so long; it was too long, <laughs> um, and the music was overall not like great. Nor were their mm-hmm. voices that good, but it was just such a bizarre experience. Like the costumes were so gaudy, uh, but everyone had so much fun, and just such ridiculous things happened that like I, I had a good time despite yeah, you myself. Were transported. Yeah. Um, so if you get the chance to check that out, this was called Sailor Moon Musical Le Mouvement Final. <laughs> Uh, it was the final movement in French. I don't know why it was in French. Um, so it seems like it was like the last one in some sort of series. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was bizarre and kind of fabulous. Sounds great. Uh, yeah. So that that's, that's the most exciting thing that I've experienced recently. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as usual, follow us on Twitter at StoryGutsCast. Or our individual Twitters. Uh, mine's Alonculus, uh, which is spelled A-L-O-N-K-U-L-O-U-S. And I'm the Molly Jean. That's the M-O-L-L-Y-J-E-A-N-N-E. As always, feel free to suggest topics to us, and um, we would love that. Yeah, uh, you can email us at storygutscast at gmail.com, or you could also tweet at either of us individually. We will see the tweet. Yes, we are not so popular on Twitter. We (laughs) We are. (laughs) Um, All right, I think that's it. Is that it? Yep, I think that's it. I think we, we fulfilled our our sign-off obligations. Okay, well, thank you for listening. This has been Story Guts. I'm Molly Curran. And I'm Alice Lai. And stay hungry. Well,